Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Great to have you here. I hope your 2023 is off to a flying start. I'm excited that you're here today because if you haven't picked it up already, if you've been around for a little while now, you've probably started to notice a little bit of a trend in the health and wellness kind of scene. I'm interested in speaking to people about how we can get more out of our body, how we can help our bodies function more effectively. And I had a chat with a bloke by the name of Cade Fallens on here a couple of weeks ago, all around breath work, and he recommended that I get this guy on the show today. Peter Williams is that guest, and this week we sat down to have a chat about all things health and wellness, and what I love about Peter, and what I learnt about Peter, is he's got a really great ability to look at how I look at health from quite a broad perspective, from a bird's eye view, and see how certain areas of health work together, from mindset to diet to sleep and beyond. There's a whole range of areas, and obviously if there's one investment that I'm willing to make, it's into my health and wellness. And the idea of sitting down with a bloke like this to chat about what he's learned, about what he believes, and about what he teaches his clients is uh, something that gets me really up and about. So it was a great conversation. Really looking forward to sharing this one with you. If you like it, make sure you jump over on Instagram and shoot Peter a little bit of love. Uh, but for now, let me introduce myself and Peter Williams. What are you gonna tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. I had a conversation with our mutual friend, Kate Forlands last week and had an absolute banger of a conversation with him. And at the end of it, I, I shot him a message and I go, mate, that was so much fun. I'm really interested in delving more into this world and I wanted to know if he had any recommendations because in my eyes last week, I thought, well, if this bloke's got any recommendations, I'm going to follow it up. And uh, he sent me a message a couple of hours or maybe the day later. And he goes, dude, he, he had linked your profile and he goes, this guy's waiting for a message from you. And I had a, uh, a little scroll through your profile and was was equally interested. I jumped across to your YouTube channel and had a listen to what you had to say and, and, and was really fascinated because obviously I'm pumped to get into this with you. The world that you're in is, is broad and it's whole and it's full and it's about health, which is a scene I'm not only interested in but passionate about. And I was saying to you uh, earlier that I, I feel as though when I was growing up, health and fitness was, it seemed very specific. You were either a gym coach, a dietitian, um, like insert whatever it was, but no one was really looking at how everything works together to give you a stronger sort of a foundation to build health and wellness on. And I guess as I've delved further into the world, I've noticed there's a, there's a few more people that I'm really interested in having that conversation now. So as a, I was pumped to not only talk to you about that, but I guess as a launch point to find out about how you found your way into this world and, um, you know, developed a fairly broad and wide and whole approach into health and fitness rather than just being like, all right, um, I guess just eat your spinach and sleep as well as you can and good luck to you. I, I, I love it. It, it is such a, a beautiful question because you're right. Like, um, you know, it would have been, oh, yeah, follow the food pyramid or things like that. We had a real... Um, one-size-fits-all approach back in the day. And what what got me into this space was my own challenges, my gifts, as I call it, my training. Uh, one thing I like to say is that a lot of our trauma can be our biggest training, our best training. I'm like, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, growing up, I was very nervous and shy. I'd have a red face, my palms would be sweating, my heart would be racing, and I lived in a chronic state of sympathetic arousal. I didn't know it was called sympathetic arousal back then. Uh, I lived in a chronic state of nutrient deficiency. My body was empty. It was tanked. It was inflamed from 
a highly processed diet and an incoherent disjointed brain and nervous system. But back then I just was like, life is really hard. It's challenging. And, you know, one thing that finally created a sense of relief was um, alcohol one day. I was like, oh my God, this switches this bloody feeling off. Great. And I started having more of that. Um, drugs came into the picture because like, great, that switches it off. And eventually I ended up in a, I ended up in a drug and alcohol rehab center. So I've seen the ins and outs of the medical merry-go-round, as I lovingly call it, because I bounced around like a piece of broken china, as in, how do we have to fix it? You're broken. And what got me out of that was PT. I was like, oh my God, when I exercise, I feel great. And you know how you said it's been so broad. It's like everything that dramatically helped me that I discovered I would want to share. So personal training exercise, did that for a few years. Then I was studying exercise sports science and got an autoimmune disease because I still was partying, putting my body under stress, pressure. I was living with chronic stress and it was an inflammatory arthritis. I, again, bounced around the medical merry-go-round, seeing ologists, rheumatologists, gastroenterologists, sleep specialists, you know, you name it. If they had an ologist on the end of the name, I would see them. And the best answer I got was, take these drugs. This, this is what we have. And at the age of 24, I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm young. Like, I've been destined to a life of chronic illness. And I studied natural medicine, naturopathy. I studied integrative health coaching. But there was still my brain of not feeling good enough, anxiety, low self-esteem, if we want to call those things. And I studied hypnotherapy, uh, coaching, life coaching, uh, and then really created the new paradigm, which is what I've been doing for many years. The new paradigm came through um, the institute that I created from my frustration with clients not having long-term transformation. I do strategic psychotherapy with them. I do integrative health coaching. I would do clinical hypnosis. And it, to be honest, it pissed me off when they'd go, I'm still really suffering. And I was like, what is the answer for long-term change? What creates long-term transformation? My standard isn't people learning to cope or learning to be okay. Screw that. I want them to thrive. And that's what really birthed my ever um, growing desire and hunger to find the answers for root cause resolution. So we could speak for it for hours, but that's a bit of how I got into this space. Isn't it funny? You, you look back on it with, uh, with such elegance and you, you explained so well what it was that you're going through. But I, I've got pretty similar experiences, I think, growing up and dealing with a number of the things that you spoke about, there, especially in regards to, uh, you know, the anxiety and the just the dis-ease that is going through your mind in certain situations. And for whatever reason, I was probably a little too OCD in the running world and obsessed with progress in that scene to go down the avenue of drugs and alcohol. But I think in a different life, I, I probably would have been in that drug and rehab center with you <laughs> trying to navigate and find answers to whatever was causing this frustration. It's a, it's a story that's certainly not unique. And, and one thing that I love that, uh, that you said is uh, – essentially allowing the the troubles in regards to the the technical i'm not sure if we were re, uh, recording as you said this but i was frustrated before this because 
bloody technology still does my head in, bro. Like the <laughs> the podcast is a beautiful thing, but the little challenges that come your way when it comes to dealing with technology to get a podcast like this happening is constantly, as you would say, I'm sure, a really good teacher. And that's a, bro. I think I wrote this in a, a, a little journal the other night is that uh, often, to steal Ryan Holiday's term, that the obstacle is always the way it's the teacher it's the thing that's it's kind of holding up a big stop sign to us and say hey yet you've still got plenty of work to do and I like that um that was a point of reference to you because it's something that's not only fresh on my mind but something that I think everybody can relate to and I guess as you explain your own story and the frustrations that you were dealing with you can see in hindsight that there's a, a sort of a big stop sign there going all right well not only is this not natural and not only is this not sort of beneficial to the way that you're living your life, but it's also an opportunity for, for huge growth and huge breakthrough. And um, not everyone has the opportunity or not everyone has the uh, the vision to see that that's what it is. They can instead just let them become more cynical, more frustrated and more upset. But for you, was there a, was it the drug rehab, uh, like the rehabilitation center, which was the, the big eye opener? for you that things weren't going well or like what was the turnaround point or the start of that turnaround point maybe more specific? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good question. I still felt like a real youngin uh, at that stage of life. Like I was still just trying to figure life out. The, the biggest turning points started coming when I saw that with autoimmune disease, we could access remission. Like, when I started to see with supposed inverted commas mental illness, we could see massive remission and transformation. And I, it, it really, some of the biggest shifts were in the personal development type of space where I started to see people who had been told they were depressed or anxious or addicted transform. And I, I really see the, the, something known as the placebo. The placebo is when we see the potential for positive change. We have the belief that there is the potential for transformation. And for me, it really was when I started to see that life isn't just what it is. Life is what we think it is. And thinking is a whole area to discover. That's what led me into thinking, thought, the mind, the brain, and how do we change this? Because if we can change how we think about life, perhaps we can change the way that we navigate life and therefore what we create within our life. Mm. It's, a, it's an interesting point. It's, a, it's interesting in the sense that I, I think we understand when we're being reflective, when we're taking a moment to look at our life, we understand that the way we think, the way we eat, the way we move, it all has a really big impact. They all have repercussions on the way we feel about life. And I love the quote, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. And the reason I love that is because it's so true. You don't have to be a genius to see that the, the richest and most beautiful people in the world aren't always the most happy. And for a lot of us, our culture promotes this idea of, hey, more money, better looks, um, you know, insert whatever, whatever else it is that, uh, you know, we're all fairly aware that our culture throws at us but the idea that just because you have those things, your life is going to be better off, it, it doesn't always work out that way. And I'm fascinated in, in constantly trying to, you know, unpack this in my own life and apply new strategies. But for me, and I mean, a lot of people who maybe struggle with 
getting into an exercise routine might realize is or, or, or the way I can sort of relate to those people is I think it's a constant lesson. It's not like I can get to a point where I go, oh, well, okay, I've nailed it. My mind's fine now. I can sort of just switch off that part of my brain and relax. It is a constant work in progress, isn't it? And I think this is one thing that I lacked education in growing up was there's there's no area of my life, whether it's diet or exercise or relationships that requires zero work and sees great results. And when it comes to mindset, obviously it's difficult because you can't necessarily see the growth there like a like a muscle growth. As specifically, you can't look in the mirror and go, okay, the gym workout's working. Look at my bicep, it's so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, that that lack of clarity or that whack, lack of awareness on the improvements that are taking place can be sort of a hurdle that you have to jump that maybe slows down the progress. Is that something that you notice? Because you mentioned that you want to see people thrive and thriving is obviously something that requires work over time. It's not something that you reach and you're like, all right, we've, we've done it. Great. Very much so. We're, we're in a consistent state of gaining insight. Because an insight is when we have a sight from within and we see something new about our world. And what's fun about being human is we've got another trillion insights waiting in front of us for the rest of our life. So you're right in that our brain changing is intangible. Like how do you, how do you make it tangible that and and there are methods there's ways there's reviews that i do with clients and that i teach the practitioners that i train to be able to make the intangible tangible to make the invisible visible because otherwise people our brains delete to sort generalize and they're like yeah i'm the same and then i'll point out you've done that you've done that you've done that you've done that and they're like oh wow and that's one of my favorite things about integrative coaching and teaching this is that a lot of the time people are are progressing and evolving when they're moving in a direction because I see that we have a GPS inside of us that is guiding and calibrating to the ever-changing nature of the road but my role and I think what's important is to be able to support people to see how far they've traveled along the map otherwise they're just looking at the road and the road looks the same It's like, no, look how much you've covered. Look how much the GPS, which is your inner wisdom, has guided you. And inner wisdom comes from insight. Again, every insight we have, um, my favorite phrase is nothing has changed in the world, yet everything is different because we're seeing a different world through a new lens, through a new sight within. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like to a a person who comes to see you in terms of getting that progress started um obviously people are coming to you for a whole heap of different reasons some people are probably there because they want to see physical health improve other people want to speak to you because they want to see mental health improve is it is it pretty clear to you when a person comes in and starts talking where you need to start because obviously like the idea that that everything starts in your mind is a a fairly well-known cliche but i guess a cliche for a reason um but a lot of the time you, you someone might come to you thinking all right well i've got to improve my physical health and they're constantly seeing hurdles based on, you know, a few mental blocks or, you know, for lack of a better phrase, they might be facing? Such a beautiful question. I love And, you, you know, like why I created the New Paradigm Institute was after working with hundreds and hundreds of clients, I started to see patterns. 
I started to see gaps. And as I trained extensively in several modalities, I would implement one modality and experiment that I'd implement another. So to answer your question, when someone comes, I filter them through three foundational stones. I filter them through the foundations of the psychological system. So I want to explore how they're seeing their world, how they're thinking their world into experience. I filter them through the foundations of the biological system. So I want to look at how they're eating, what they're, how much they're drinking, how much caffeine they're having, how much sleep they're having, what movement they're doing, how their digestion is, how they're breathing. Are they mouth breathing? And then I filter them through the foundations of systems and skill sets because one of my biggest passions that I see is missing out there is it's all well and good to educate a client, but if they don't have a system that's calibrated to them to actually implement that information, it leads to something, it's a fancy word, it's called iatrogenesis. It means that the client thinks that the prop, the it didn't happen because of them and they think there's more of a problem about them. That's not the case. They didn't have a system and skill set that was designed by the coach or practitioner to actually match the person. Um, in the Institute, the final thing I'll say, I call it DIMU, deep, insightful, meaningful understanding with wherever they want to go, whether whether it's the removing a challenge of anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, addiction, insomnia, phobia, you name it, social anxiety, or whether they want to create something in the world, a new business, leadership position, better relationships, better health. They need DIMU for it to land. Deep, insightful, meaningful understanding. Remember I said about insight. They've seen it from within. It's meaningful for them. It isn't just do this. It's meaningful. It's like, no, 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 do this. This is what's happening in the nervous system, the gut, the body. This is what will happen. This is what the science shows. And that's the understanding to contextualize it for them. Some people say dumb it down. I disagree. I see that people are incredibly intelligent. And I love to educate them so deeply so that they have dimu to then act on those three filters, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting as well because it's no news to you, but I think one of the interesting things you find is like when something is deep, meaningful and understood, it makes it so much easier to get out there and actually put in the work required to see the changes. That's what I always find. I can write goals all over my wall and if there's something that, you know, for whatever reason I've got it written down and I haven't bought into it fully, it's it's – not going to be completed. And I've seen that time and time again in so many areas. Like I often say I'm, I'm so disciplined with a lot of things when it comes to diet, when it comes to exercise, I'm on. And part of the reason I, I think I'm so on in those areas is because I've, I've fully bought into it. I understand why it's beneficial to, you know, use your little acronym. Um, <clears throat> and it allows me to get out of bed each morning and actually really enjoy the work that I'm putting in. And I, I think on a psychological level, it's interesting as well because, it's amazing the impact that a belief in what you're investing in has on not only your enthusiasm, but I guess your understanding of, of, of what you're doing. And I say that with pretty fresh little story on my mind. Um, last mm-hmm. night I was driving home from Melbourne and I had an audio book going. And uh, <clears throat> it's a book by, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. I think it's 
I've blanked on his name, but the book's called Cancer is Not a Disease, which is like a, <laughs> it's a fairly controversial kind of a, a, a title. It definitely gets your attention. Mm. And I, I sort of stumbled across a couple of this guy's writings the other day, and I thought, I'll give this book a go. But in this book, to steal a little paragraph and, uh, you know, take it away from so many other actual brilliant things that he talks about, this guy explains that uh, for a lot of people, hearing the word cancer, a cancer diagnosis can so often radically uh, speed up the process of decline that the patient sees because it's such a loaded word, it sort of whacks their psyche, it whacks uh, their belief systems, and all of a sudden they start acting like a cancer patient, whereas it might have been there for a number of months and they seem to be operating at pretty good health. And I thought, man, all right, like it's such an interesting realisation because for me especially, I forget about the power that I have only over my own experience. And to hear stories about people whose cancer rates are sped up based solely on a diagnosis and a belief about what that means, that was like a massive asterisk next to that, like, all right, Tice, if, if this is making such an impact on this one person, then you've got to get yourself organised uh, around the way that you perceive the world. And Because I can fall into, a like all of us, a, a little world of frustration and impatience and uh, I kind of go blind on these ideas that I know are so beneficial. So I guess I say all that to to ask the question, like whether it's from a personal perspective in your own experience or from what you've seen with a a, a, a client, is when a person comes to you and we have this understanding of how much our belief about what's taking place can impact our actions from that point forward, how do we keep it at the forefront of our mind to actually use each little obstacle as an opportunity for growth rather than just a, a frustrating, you know, experience, which is just going to lead us to become more cynical, more angry and <laughs> sort of more negative about what we're going to experience from that point forward? It, it's such a beautiful question. And, and what that man is speaking about is something called the nocebo. So the placebo is take this pill, you're going to heal your conditions. The nocebo is you have this, therefore this. And I, I believe that it can be healthy to have an understanding, but the delivery of you have cancer versus you have cancer. Um, it, it really, it, it's mm. a, a, a level of discernment. And it's why to speak to what you're talking about, my biggest thing when clients come in is to pull apart any of the beliefs that their brains have made about themselves. Because I, t I say their brains, not them. I move the language continually away from you. And people go, well, that's not taking responsibility. No, it is. But we're seeing a brain for what it is. Brains compare, they judge, they analyze, they project, they predict all 8 billion of them. And they've done studies on the left brain to show that it makes up stories that make no sense. They literally get a group of women, they put them in a room, they give them lingerie. All the lingerie is the same and they ask the women, which lingerie is your favourite and why? And this isn't a thing about women, it's about the left brain, just to be clear. So they pick up the <laughs> lingerie and they go, I like the colour and the feel of this. All of the lingerie is exactly the same. The left brain is designed to continually create meanings and language and thinking which if we don't see, it's just thinking. It becomes a belief and it, it, we're like fish in water. We don't see the water, which is invisible. 
Um, it's not that we see the world, we see what we think about the world. And to answer your question, it's showing that it's about progress, not perfection. It's showing that when we learn to walk as babies, we didn't step up and walk and fall down and go, no, I'm done with this. This, this, this walking gig sucks. <laughs> you know, as we, were, as we were learning to, um, you know, talk and they're talking about vowels in the class, we didn't go, screw you, teacher, and just walk out. Maybe some did, no judgment. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's seeing that everything requires a learning curve. So I love that question you've asked because that's one of the key parts I go after with people off the bat. So, for example, if I'm working with a construction worker, I'll say to him, man, if I come on the construction site and you ask me to bloody do that in that room, I have no idea what's going on. And would you look at me and go, oh, you're such an idiot. You suck at this. You go, no, let me teach you. It's going to take a bit of learning. With surfers, I'm not a surfer. I wish I was. It's lovely. If I work with a surfer, I'm like, man, you get me on a board, I'm going to be falling off. And, and would it be fair for you to go, Peter, you suck at this. It's not working. No, Peter, let me show you how the board works. So everything in life is a strategy. Everything in life is a process. And I know when I saw that, it was like my whole world stopped. And I just was like, everything in life is a process. You've either learned the process or you're on the way of learning it or you haven't. And from that frame, it opens up play and freedom and possibility. And let's try stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah it definitely changes the uh, the way you see a situation, doesn't it? Like I know when I'm when I'm holding that at the forefront of my mind, this idea that all right, Tyus, gonna get up today, and every frustration that you face is in fact an opportunity for growth. All of a sudden, when you remember that in that struggle, you go, oh, great, like another opportunity to learn. But it's just a matter of keeping that at the forefront of your mind, isn't it? And I think one of the one of the things I was keen to talk to you about is there's so many effective strategies I've found. I've found that there's so many effective strategies to help me navigate through so many different challenges. And one of the things that I can bog myself down with in a frustration is going, all right, well, I've got 35 things that I think could work really well. And then I'll start toying with each of them for 10 minutes and not really get a full experience out of any of them, where I think that, that maybe the best step for me would be to go, all right, hey, Tice, let's give this one a real good shake. Let's spend a week just trialing this particular method or this particular strategy and seeing how much progress we can make rather than going, all right, I did that one 15 minutes ago. I'll try this one now because the first one didn't really work really well. So have you got sort of general rules around how long uh, you've got to apply a particular strategy for until you see results? I know a, a lot of people and um, a lot of people I really admire say, hey, you can see instant results, like you can see massive change in the moment using a particular strategy. But I think more specifically, I was looking at, um, you know, over the course of a, a month, is it the same strategy that you use in the moment as what you should be using um, over the course of a month, if that makes sense? Oh, it's such a good question. Yeah. And I've got something you're going to go like, whoa, I wasn't expecting. Or it's kind of looking in a different direction. So it, it comes back to the three pillars of, the psychological system, the biological system and systems and skill set. So what you're talking about is a, an example of implementing a system and skill set, uh, a system meaning a habit or a skill or a strategy or a technique. What I learned early on, Tyson, or a bit later on, I would do that stuff and then people would fall off. And I was like, 
I don't get it. We spoke so much about that stuff. And that's what got me deeper into the health stuff, particularly brain health. The brain has prefrontal cortex, temporal lobe, right? It's got different lobes, but the brain's invisible. So people make it about personality, not biology. For example, if your brain has limited blood flow, um, parts such as the prefrontal cortex won't fire. Your ability to have forethought, forward thinking and impulse control will fall off. If your nervous system is dysregulated and you have something known as low vagal tone, vagal tone referring to how reflexive your vagus nerve is, which allows the body to feel safe, calm and to connect, if there's low tone, you'll fall off strategies. So what I saw to answer your question is, I'm going to get the biological foundation solid. And from that place, we're going to talk more about strategy. And one of my favorite frameworks I highly recommend, his name's BJ Fogg. You may have heard of him. He's a Stanford professor. And I, it just, it transformed the way I work with clients to create long-term change because his formula is BMAP. It stands for behavior equals motivation. So he calls it the motivation monkey. You go, oh, I'm fired up today. Let's go. But the next day, motivation's gone. So we can't rely on motivation. This is another trap when it comes to strategies that I go to people. Is your brain kind of all or nothing? Like you're succeeding or you're failing. You need to smash it all out. Um, you know, it needs to be perfect. And they go, yeah. And I go, welcome to the human race. Every client I've worked with, that's how brains work. When, when a brain is in sympathetic activation, it will do perfectionism, black and white thinking, catastrophizing, all or nothing, success or failure. So um, BMAP takes that into account that if your brain's going up and down, you're not going to feel motivated. And what I like is A or MAP, one of them stands for ability, ability. So with a strategy to build it to a capacity someone can do. Remember, I got fired up earlier because I see innocently and lovingly practitioners go, here, go and change your diet and do this. It's too far beyond the ability of the client. They go out, they try for a week, they fall off and they think, I suck. It wasn't matched to the ability. And P stands for a prompt. Do you have some sort of system in place to remind you that's at the front of your yeah. mind to give your brain clarity. If we're lacking that, good luck. I've seen it so many times. They go, I suck. I'm like, you don't. You just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a great point, man. I wonder how much of that has to do with our love for pharmaceuticals and a tablet because it's so much easier to blame a medication for not fixing the problem, I guess, than it is to dig down a little bit deeper and just find out what that, um, that little blockage under the surface might be, which is limiting our ability to sort of change that behavior. I was like, this is my entry into this world, really. In 2010, I had my first sinus surgery because uh, I had constant blockages. I had nasal polyps and I went in, the doctor said, well, you've, you've, unfortunately, you've got some inflammation up there. We're going to have to clear you out. Um, I said, oh, is this going to be helpful long-term? He said, oh, it should help you for a few years. And at the time I thought, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And this was a, a guy with a degree. He had it up on his wall for me to see. He was highly respected. He he charged a lot. I thought, well, they're all the uh, signs of a real classic 
good doctor, I'm pretty sure. And so I went and got the surgery done. I came out, got healthy, ran fast for a while. Two years later, exactly the same symptoms came back. I thought, well, this is strange. So I went back to the doctor, same doctor, and he said, yeah, unfortunately, this is just going to be something that you're going to have to navigate for the rest of your life. Maybe every few years you come in and get a surgery. And I was a 23-year-old kid, and I thought, well, that doesn't make sense to me. That that seems ridiculous, like the idea that a person has to have surgery every couple of years just to function. Like I felt like he might have missed something, and mm. maybe the behavior was the thing that he was missing. And I went away. I got the second surgery. Dude, no joke. You would think I would have learned, but uh, and I did eventually. But two years later, again, exact same story, was about to go in and get a third surgery when my wife's grandma said to me, I've got a feeling, she goes, I've seen how much milk you drink. I reckon you're allergic mm-hmm. to it. Maybe cut that out for a month and see if there's any impact on your life. And going back to what you said earlier about, you know, one man's game changer is another man's poison. For yes. me at that stage, the the rubbish quality milk that I was drinking was my poison. And I cut that out and dude, uh, not only did the the issues and the symptoms go away, but the, the, the problem never returned. I'm, I'm healthy as ever in my sinuses. I, I feel great. But what is crazy to me and what now seems so obvious is obviously there was an action that I was taking place in on a regular basis that was impacting the health of my sinuses. And at the time, I had so much trust in the medical world that I mm. thought, well, this guy with his degree, his confidence and his big paychecks obviously knows what he's talking about. Let's just keep going back and doing the thing that he says that's not quite working. But the approach that, uh, you know, PJ Fogg, if I've got his name right, has, Mm. how much more sense does that make? Like, let's address the actual behavior. Let's address the actual actions and see how that outplays in your life. Because I guess when you identify it and when you're forced to reckon with it and adjust and sort of just dance with the frustration that whatever you have is causing, eventually there's a a pretty solid learning that's going to come out of that. Very much so. And, and, I see that there's an innocence with a lot of traditional medicine in that they are very, the word is reductionist. So it means that they'll look at one part of the body and go, that part's broken. We just need to address that part with a medication, with the surgery. Like, let's just chop out that organ. Yes, like, it's another, another topic, but essentially, let's just chop it out or put a drug in there. Constructionist, which is why I'm so passionate about functional medicine, it lights my soul on fire, and natural medicine, let's look at all of the systems of the body, how are they all interacting, the immune system, the digestive system, the respiratory system, the nervous system, the hormonal endocrine system lymphatic let's look at how the systems are working together or not working together and i love that your grandma and her wisdom have you looked at your digestive system with dairy because that can generate inflammation so and to speak to your point the pill or drugs i i moved away from being a a hypnotherapist and a clinical hypnotherapist because why why would people come to me as a hypnotherapist what they had tried wasn't working. And they would go, please, can you just use this thing on me and my life changes? Because the older paradigms out there are leading to a lot of suffering and people falling through the cracks. And I saw it firsthand and it really lit me on fire to go, there's got to be something to change about this. This thinking of nothing works, I need someone to zap me for me to change. It's like, there's a bit of an issue there. 
That's why I moved away from that going, I'll help you create that, but you'll actually have it long term. I don't need to zap you. Yeah. So that kind of speaks to the, the drug. Give me a drug because they're like, I don't know any other way. You go, they're lazy. Are they lazy or do they not see another way that they could actually do? You know? Yeah. And I guess like for me, it hadn't been any more clear than the last couple of years, especially here in Australia. Like, yeah, you see that one method approach, especially through COVID. Remember, it was almost like a, a wave of just conviction in every person with a degree that the only way to see health and to see us through a struggle, uh, through a pandemic like COVID is all right, the vaccine is the way, it's the only way. And there were people early in the part going, okay, hey, look, like let's we'll talk about the vaccine, no worries. But before we talk about that, can we at least have an honest conversation around exercise, around age, around dietary habits, around sleep habits, around sunlight. And people all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I found mind blowing, started going, oh my gosh, what you don't you don't trust what it is that the experts are saying? It's like, well, no, it's not, it's not that. It's I mean, it's partly that. Like when you push back like this to my genuine questions around your product, I start to get a little bit apprehensive. But it just seems that for all time, like people with stronger immune systems seem to be able to navigate their way through <laughs> whatever challenge is thrown their way, whether it's a, you know recovery or whether it's just navigating their way through a disease or an illness. And for, for me, uh, which is frustrating in a, a lot of instances or in a lot of ways, because I've got friends in the medical scene who are great people and got great hearts for genuinely seeing people's health improve. But their approach to that the last couple of years was so minimal and so simplistic that me who's never been to university never been through medical school uh you know never had to state how much i care about another person's health i was looking at them going you you completely missed it like you've you've missed an amazing opportunity here to be able to actually invest in people's health instead you've just shut down a genuine conversation and i'm kind of frustrated at the medical scene at the moment if you can't tell by (laughs) <laughs> the tone of my voice and I've never been that way before in fact for, for a lot of my life I've, I've had great trust and sort of great respect for the scene and at the moment I go okay well this this minimized approach to health which is such a broad and beautiful conversation I I don't feel served anyone and and, and this isn't even my scene man so I say all that to ask like how did you navigate the last couple of years regardless of your opinion on vaccines and things like that i don't want to you know uh start treading on everyone's toes but i I was just curious to know because as you've said your whole world revolves around helping people in a holistic manner that this reductionist view of hey this one needle is the answer did my head in how did you how did you cope yeah it's it's a beautiful question because the last few years have been the biggest growth in my business in terms of looking at new paradigms for finding root cause resolution for mental illness and chronic disease. And I'll give you an example that, cause I, I totally get you and appreciate that. Like the frustration, like I, 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 in my family, there were doctors and stuff and there have been doctors. And, and when I came through the other side and I've learned a lot, I've learned that we're always doing the best with the level of understanding that we have available. So it means that with a lot of the traditional medical approaches um, that can be more reductionist, they're doing the best with what they see. So I, I kind of, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm some enlightened person, but it moved me to a bit more compassion, but I totally get where you're at. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to speak to, though, is old paradigms, because 
old paradigms have led to a lot of suffering in the past. One of my, I wouldn't say favorite, but one of the ones that really speaks to it was back in the 18th century where 18% of mothers would die giving birth. They called it pregnancy fever. And that creates a lot of suffering. Like 18% of mothers would die. And they, they just thought that's how life is. That's normal. Hopefully she gets through until one day a man named Summerweiss, a, a general physician that would help deliver babies, his fellow colleague passed away of the pregnancy fever, another man. It was like, I don't get it. He's a man. Why did he pass away from pregnancy fever? He discovered that no one was sterilizing instruments. No one was washing their hands from operation to delivering babies. Now, talking about that now, we would go, wow, that's absurd. That, that's insane. That would create a lot of suffering. The innocence is in how we traditionally treat mental health and physical health now. A lot of it's operating under older paradigms like that, that a decade from now, we'll look back and go, oh my God, you used to not look at their gut or their nervous system or their breathing or their sleep or tell them that they're well, because yeah. the older paradigms of psychoanalysis look for, and I used to do this in my initial training, what's wrong with the person? Where are they broken? Versus now I look, they're well. How do I bring that out of them? What if we see that people are innately well? They're innately well psychologically and biologically. How do we return them back home? So what really shifted for me over the last few years was to see that I don't look for where people are broken now. I look for their innate well-being and I look at what are the innocent obstacles in a constructionist view to support them in moving so they can return back to who they really are. So the last few years have been the biggest evolution of my impact. That's why I launched an institute to train integrative coaches last year because I was so fired up and so passionate after seeing clients get long-term change for a year, year and a half, two years. They're like, my life's amazing. I was like, I feel integral to teach an integrative approach now. So to be honest, the last few years, completely transformed the game for me they really did mm, yeah that's good you've got a much more uh a much more loving approach i think to the people in the medical scene than what i had and i actually i know you're right i think your approach is not only a healthier approach and a healthier conversation but it just feels better to to have that understanding because for me i've just spent the last two years guys you fucking idiots <laughs> do you know what i mean which honestly and i i had a chat with my mum a while ago i had to say hey look sorry about the tension i've been bringing here the last couple of years because i've been so frustrated and so fired up at trying to bring a genuine conversation and an honest conversation around this topic which you do on a daily basis that i failed to see that there could have been any good intentions coming out of anyone from that scene but it's a great point. Like the thing you said about different levels of understanding is, is spot on, isn't it? Like a few years ago, maybe I was in that exact position where I, I look at a situation like COVID and I go, okay, well, this is the best approach. It's the best we know how to change it. And without any other conversations or without any other education, it, how are you supposed to know? Like if you haven't been exposed to other ideas and other potential opportunities, I guess it, it would sound crazy. Um, and I, I think I, I, over the last couple of weeks, have started to try and make that decision a little in my own life. Like, hey, Tosh, you're going to have to bring a little more grace to these people because you know, it, for many of them, for many of them, I do believe that they're, they're doing the very best that they 
they can. And saying that, it still rubs me up a little bit the wrong way, which probably says more about me than them. But it's a it's the right attitude because otherwise, it's like, I don't know who said this quote, but it's that classic idea of drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I think my attitude towards COVID and the uh, sort of the experts over the last couple of years have been a massive big dose of that in my life. And if I was honest, I'll look at myself and go, you know what? I don't think this is actually making me happier or healthier. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just making me a little more aggressive and harder to be around. So like for yourself, man, when, when frustrations around that, you know, oh, it doesn't have to be COVID, but around certain issues come up in your life where you go, Hey, this is a great chance for me to go. I, I want to punch this person in the back of the head. I'm so frustrated at your approach, at your understanding, at the way you perceive this what does that conversation look like to talk you off the ledge and go, all right, hey, Peter, you're frustrated here, you're angry. Um, obviously, you're probably seeing this from, a, you know, like a fight or flight kind of a situation because to be able to actually take that situation, talk yourself down, it, it allows you to see it with more clarity and it allows you to feel better as a process. But do you have um, in amongst that those three pillars particular strategies that actually help you navigate your mindset in a situation like that? Beautiful question and very much so. And just just to share, I, I fully um, can appreciate the frustration that I've had with people at times. And like, it's it's you. I go to clients, oh, you're humaning. Or with the practitioners I teach, they're like, oh, look at you humaning. Uh, and it's like um, the, the innocence, if I had a dollar for every time I've had a conversation with a client over the last, you know, six years around them innocently thinking that other people are seeing the same world as them, I'd be a billionaire. It is the biggest, if not the biggest cause of suffering that I have ever seen. And and that's not like doom and gloom. Oh, but the beauty is what I say to people, hey, we live in 8 billion different worlds. We there, there, There's reality. This is reality. It's the pen. But there's my world of the pen and there's your world of the pen. But... The thing with our brains is they innocently mind read. So what will happen is our brain projects however our world looks into another person and it goes, they're seeing the same world as me and they're choosing to do that. But the trick is they're never seeing the same world. So that that's separate realities. I could I could do ten podcasts on that. But to answer your question, that's one of my juiciest topics. Uh, the nervous <laughs> system, the, the, the nervous system is the vessel of our human experience. The breath is the key to open the door to access the vessel of our human experience. Meditation is another key to open the door to the vessel of our human experience. So. That's where I love breath work. If I have one of the things that my clients have shared as their favorite thing over many years, Peter, we love the breath work because breath work isn't just about blissing out. Breath work is about creating balance in the nervous system. Breath work is about retraining uh, vagal tone, as I spoke about. The vagus nerve being the break. So frustration is when the accelerator's on, sympathetic fight or flight activation. The vagus nerve is the brake because that allows us to come back into regulation. So what you're asking are what are the best strategies for regulation? I love breath. I love meditation. I love 
getting out. I go to someone, go out into nature and try and be depressed. Go, go, go for a walk in nature, no phone for two hours, try and be anxious. And, and it's looking at how do we return home? What are the regulators? Because all frustration is it's a valid human emotion. Acknowledge it, learn from it, innovate from it. How do I come back home? Like to answer your question, last year was probably one of the most challenging years in 15 years. I was in a home that was full of mold. First of all, I didn't really know what mold was. Second of all, I had no idea that mold could create anxiety, anger, memory loss, depression, um, forgetfulness, all these things. Here I was teaching the guys and... My brain was going offline all the time. I had no idea what mold was. So to answer your question, how did I get out of that? I kept learning and learning and exploring and learning. One of my favorite things in personal development, if it doesn't work, change your approach. And if that doesn't work, change your approach. And if that doesn't work, change your approach. And it's an incessant capacity to continually pivot to change your approach to gain insight, to learn the answer to the question that's arising in front of you. Yeah, really well said, man. That's a great answer. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because a lot of the time we'll try two or three different methods and we'll go, oh, okay, I'm broken. And I can testify to this in so many different areas from uh, you know different styles of training that I've taken as a, a runner, especially years ago. And to like we touched on it earlier where I was explaining the maybe the confusion that I caused myself with so many successful possibilities when it comes to reframing a a certain situation. But I think the, the attitude that I can feel even shift hearing you say that is, is huge. And it's really just filled with hope, isn't it? Because with that perspective, there's never a finish line or there's never a point where you go, Oh, okay. I'm officially broken. It's like, no, no, I just haven't quite stumbled across the right technique that works for me as an individual. The breathwork is something that Kate and I spoke about a little bit. My sister's downstairs giving me the uh, giving me the finger, actually, which is very rude. So I'm just trying not to make eye contact with her for a minute. <laughs> she just surprised me from Adelaide. So was, I, I haven't seen her for two years. And, uh, yeah, I haven't seen her for two years. And I looked out the window and she's giving me the finger, which is, uh, you know, which is ironic based on the conversation that you and I are having right now. Um, I'm going to have to play this to her and say she has a lot of work to do. <laughs> but, um, the, the, the breath work thing is uh is fascinating to me man because uh not only has it become more of a popular conversation in the circles that i walk in but the the impact that it has on your health and on your psyche in any given moment is is amazing i do a lot of stand-up comedy and cade said mm. to me he walked me through like a little rhythmic pattern of breathing that i can do dealing with that anxiety before i get on stage and for me, I'm not sure if I'm even doing it right right now. I need to touch base with them again. But essentially, it was like a, a, a count to four breath in, hold, and a count to four breath out. And it was essentially just a, a, a moment just to take yourself from that state of stress to a state of calm. And I do it almost before every gig, unless I forget in the uh, chaos of the moment. But when I do, it, it allows me to get up into stage with a, a, a fresh mindset or at least a little bit more of a calm mindset. Is there a particular process that you use? Obviously, I'm aware of the fact there's a million different breathing strategies you can use depending on what it is you're trying to achieve. But in a moment like that where you're you're dealing with the frustration where you go to your breath work, what is that process you actually take? Oh, beautiful question. And I I love what Cade shared. That's triangle breathing. So in for four, out for four, pause for four. Beautiful. So this is what I love. Remember, one man's food can be another man's poison. 
one man's nervous system technique can be another man's disruptor. So, for example, if somebody's in frustration, you go, all right, close your eyes, meditate. That can be the worst thing because they're in fight or flight. There's adrenaline moving through their body. And to say, just sit down and close your eyes, that can actually feel really unsafe for someone's nervous system. If their nervous system's looking for threat and you're like, close your eyes, even though it feels like there's threat, that can be a gap. So it's really meeting someone where they're at on the ladder of the nervous system. The nervous system can move up into fight or flight which is fear, worry, anxiety, anger, frustration, or it can move down into freeze, hopeless, helpless, apathetic, shame, guilt, uh, etc. So depending on where they're sitting on the ladder or the hierarchy of the nervous system will determine which of the several methods that are available could be used. So to answer your question, one of my favorites is superventilation. Uh, that has been coined in the popular uh, scene, such as Wim Hof. Wim Hof is wonderful for mobilizing sympathetic activation. It's wonderful for activating the vagus nerve. But people doing Wim Hof every day may not be appropriate because mm. if they're in the freeze response, um, that may not suit them well. But essentially one of my favorite methods that I'm really passionate about that I do with most clients is heart math, heart coherence, because I believe that one of the answers to so much of the illusion of separation that there is in this world is to come back to the heart, to come back to living from the heart, because living from the heart is the emotions of gratitude, appreciation, love and care. And what heart math involves is directing awareness through the heart, even bringing sense to the heart, breathing in for five, breathing out for five through the heart, um, you know, for 10 rounds, and then bringing to mind regenerative emotions, someone that you can be deeply grateful for, someone that you can be deeply appreciative for, and you flood your body with the feeling tone of gratitude, appreciation, love, or care. What I love, though, it's not like woo-woo, it could sound woo-woo. We've got studies of 11,500 people with the decrease of anxiety by 46%, decrease of depression by, I believe it's 51%, and a decrease in fatigue by like 46% over six to nine weeks with that method. So... The things that I share are backed by testing that's tried and tested on thousands of people. Otherwise, I don't play. Yeah, I want to use the stuff that that's will awesome. create long-term change. Otherwise, I don't want to waste my time or waste people's time as well. You know? Yeah, and is there a certain amount of time each day that you should be doing that? Like I know this is such a go-to question. I'm sure even a minute or two of that is beneficial to our health, but in your own life, is it, is it like a 20-minute process? Is it a 10-minute process? What does that look like? Yeah, great, great question. I remember in one of my trainings, I spoke about a study with major depression where they showed a 51% improvement, which was more statistically significant than medications and talk therapy. That protocol was 20 minutes of heart math in the morning, 20 minutes of heart math at night, every day for 12 weeks. So you think about, it's a beautiful question. It's like, 
how you with your running how long should i be running for each day well obviously we want to put a load on the body for it to adapt and three minutes here or there can be an acute treatment but we want to be putting load on the nervous system for there to be deeper changes and shifts and for me i'll meditate for an hour in the morning um, with heart coherence and breath then throughout the day i may do five minutes of meditation as well as five minutes of heart math as well as even at times five minutes of super ventilation and throw some cold exposure in there as well ice bars chest freezer that is my ultimate day give me some sun uh, give me some nature and give me some movement that is my flow state yeah. formula to share yeah yeah well said brother dude i honestly like I, I i can talk to you i literally could talk to you for so many hours and i know you could talk back because you've got a whole heap of uh, insight that i know you'll be willing to share i've got my family sitting down here in my backyard they've just come over from south australia so i'm gonna have to go and be a, a fantastic son and say hello i'm uh i'll let's hit pause on this conversation for now um i said an hour what we're, we're just about there Maybe if you're open to it, we could do another round in uh, in, the, in the next couple of months if you've got time in your schedule because I feel as though we're just starting to scratch the surface of, uh, of some really good things. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a, a goldmine of stuff in there that we can go back and listen to. But in terms of what I know we're at the precipice of, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's plenty more conversations there. So if you're interested, dude, let's, uh, let's do a round two. Very much so. I would love to share as many human beings as I can share this information with this is why i live so thank you for yeah providing the opportunity for me to fulfill my purpose in this life which is to share this stuff 